The Dying of the Light From Flashbangs and Frag Grenades By Calchexis Read by Sam Gabriel Based on League of Legends by Riot Games Chapter 5 The orchestra was in particularly fine form that evening. The percussion of the Prospero's dying engines formed a steady beat that was expanded upon by the keening cries of the wind section. The clang and tenor of sharp blade meeting dull chassis made joyful strings, and Lux could hardly stop herself from smiling. It helped that Jinx was a phenomenal dancer. You'll have to do better than that, Lux jeered playfully. She backstepped and skipped away whenever Jinx swung Pow Pow in a punishing arc, only to close the distance the moment an opening presented itself. Jinx never let her take advantage of it, though. Gods and aspects, she was so fast. Before this, Lux had only once had an opportunity to appreciate just how fast Jinx was from the perspective of someone fighting her, and only briefly. She moved like a blade being snapped out of an oiled sheath. Every motion was an attack. Here she was swinging pow-pow around herself like a bludgeon, firing haphazardly just to give the heavy rotator cannon an extra boost. Her draw technique was flawless, too, snapping Zapper out to fire from the hip between attacks, only to holster it and keep swinging. You're not bad for a topsider, Jinx said, clearing space with a well-placed fusillade of shots that chewed up the deck between them. Shame you had to be on their side. Lux flourished her blade between them as she circled around Jinx. I have my own purposes for being here. And you've made quite the mess of things, by the way. Yeah, it's pretty great, right? She said, gesturing around to the Prospero as it was rocked by an explosion. The deck tipped to a sharp, forty-degree angle, and the screams of the remaining crew howled around them as Lux kicked up off the deck and landed on the supporting struts of the railing, balancing easily, while Jinx did the same by landing on the canted wall of a cabin. The moment Jinx hit the wall, she opened fire, spraying the deck and rail that Lux was perched on. A golden corona bloomed around her as she snapped a hand out as she dove beneath the wild barrage. Her shield absorbed the stray shots that might have struck her while she recklessly closed the distance between them, forcing Jinx to abandon her line of fire and pull Pow Pow up to catch Lux's blade against the armored body. Lux leaned forward, pressing her weight against both the gun and Jinx to pin her in place. You'll run out of ammo for that thing eventually, Lux said curtly. And you've got real pretty eyes, Jinx replied with a smirk. Hmm, aren't you married? Doesn't mean I can't look. Oh, really? Lux flexed and shoved Jinx back with a hard stroke of her blade, making room to snap her rod out to send a coiling bolt of light that Jinx ducked beneath as she drew Zapper and took a quick shot from the hip that sent Lux diving for cover. Another explosion rattled the Prospero, and the percussion faded as the engines finally gave out. Pity. She had really been enjoying dancing with the Jinx. Diving beneath another stream of fire, Lux came up with an ascending combination of expert strikes, creating a wall of wickering steel in front of her as she pulled Jinx back towards the prow of the dying Prospero. Lux, we gotta go! Vi roared from further back. Going already, Blondie? Jinx whispered her voice low enough that only Lux could hear it, and it was nearly lost amongst the explosions. Only because I have to, Lux replied. She exchanged a few more theatrical blows with Jinx, driving her back another few steps before releasing a detonation of light and sound from her rod, 
negating gravity around her briefly as she kicked backward toward the sound of Vi's voice to give her another few meters of clearance. Lux landed with precision near Vi, who had her fingers of one gauntlet dug into the wall to anchor herself, and reached out with the other to study Lux. Is she— Your sister is no slouch, Lux replied. I left her at the prow, but something tells me she isn't planning to go down with the ship. Yeah, if dropping an airship on her was enough to kill her, she'd have been dead a while ago, Vi said with a weak laugh, before pulling Lux up off of her feet. Now come on, we got a boat to catch. The pneumatic force of Vi's atlas gauntlets exploded out of their vents, carrying the two of them up the steeply angled deck to the last hideout where the final few crewmen awaited, along with Captain Zalo, who wore a pained expression as he looked over the Prospero for what was surely the final time. Lux made a mental note to find a way to pay the man back for his loss. Let's go, Vi ordered as her feet hit the deck. Salo pulled the lever at the side of the boat, and the moorings went dark as the smaller Hextech engine in the basin rear of the lifeboat humped to life. The lifeboat detached and pulled away, and Lux pulled her hood back up and settled back into one of the seats as she watched the Prospero descend on target. It was true to say that she and Jinx had come to Noxus with the intent of finding the Hexcoustic engineers who had created the device that controlled Warwick, but it was more than that. Noxus had interfered— more than interfered, they had sided with Piltover, even if only by proxy. The Grand General was a pragmatic sort, and Lux's read on him was that even his apparent egomania was just a mask worn because it was what others expected. Still, he understood the value of symbols. It was why he had a towering statue of himself in the central plaza, where all the military parades were held. That was why Lux and Jinx had gone to such lengths to ensure that the timing and flight plan of the Prospero, as well as the shape of the explosion and the angle of descent, would put it down right in the middle of said plaza. Lux was well aware that, objectively speaking, Demacia wasn't all that much better than Noxus from any moral standpoint, if it was any better at all, but the fact remained that Lux had been born there. With that in mind, there was a certain visceral satisfaction to watching the Prospero plow nose first directly into the dour, stony face of Grand General Swain, tearing the enormous statue apart with a shriek of rending metal and stone, and washing the ornate plaza in fire and chemical debris. Do you, uh, do you think that was on purpose? Vi asked as the lifeboat raced away from the explosion and towards the berth where emergency services were gathering. Lux hid her smile as she pulled her cowl lower and lied in a voice that was steady as a surgeon's knife as she said, I have no idea. This was not a part of the agreement. Caterina du Couteau stood with crossed arms in front of the Piltoven liaison, a crude, compact woman named Vi that she had crossed blades to fist with on the rift a handful of times. Yeah, it was, because the agreement was kind of stupid to start with, Vi replied flatly as she gestured out towards the burning square with one enormous hextech-clad hand. You wanted Jinx's attention. You wanted to lure her into your trap. Well, guess what? This is what Jinx's attention looks like. The worst part was that she couldn't even argue the point. Her family had been smarting since the blow that the Zonite criminal had struck against them, besting two of their best operatives, including herself, and from the limited reports they'd managed to get from Talon, 
fighting Jinx on her home turf was not doable. She knew the twin cities of Piltover and Zaun far too well to be caught out, and what very little he'd been able to accurately recall of his mission had involved weeks of trying and failing to track her, and as abrasive as the man could be, he was at least that competent, if not more. If even Talon couldn't hunt her successfully, then they needed a new option. Drawing her away from her bolt holes and into Noxus gave them the advantage of terrain and denied her resources, so it had seemed reasonable. Seemed being very much the operative word. You Noxians have no idea what she's like, Fi continued. You think the airship thing was bad? That was her saying hello. Wait until she really gets ahead of steam going. He'll be lucky if you have a city left. That seems like an exaggeration, Katarina replied as she turned and gestured for Vi and her entourage, such as it was, to follow. Her entourage consisted of a single Piltoven council scribe that Vi had introduced as Matilda, a mousy young woman wearing the drab brass and browns that Piltover favored for whatever reason. Her hooded face and hair were at least half soot, and she had a pair of bent bifocals perched on her nose, and from the way she moved, she seemed to be in shock. Matilda was the kind of woman that Katarina despised, moving with hunched shoulders and a bowed head that spoke of a lifetime of letting people talk and look down on her. The way she stared timidly at the ground, rather than looking anyone in the eye, was especially irritating. "'It's not an exaggeration,' Vi said, pulling Katarina's attention away from her scribe. "'It's a fact.' Jinx assassinated most of Piltover's ruling council some years back. She destroyed an industrial dam on a lark, and she knocked over a whole damn spire as a distraction. Katarina clenched her jaw. As wild as it seemed, it was hard to argue with the proof that was smoldering away in the heart of the city. So you wanted her attention and now you've got it. Now what? Vi finished. That was a good question. My orders are to put on a front of strength. But I think we both know how thin that would be at this stage, Katarina replied cautiously as they reached the street level of Noxus. The fact of the matter is that we don't have a plan anymore. This wasn't how anyone expected her to enter the city, and now the Triferex Council is in an uproar, so speaking frankly, what do you advise? Vi looked to her scribe, who was dutifully jotting down notes on a pad of paper, then looked back to Katarina and said, First off, we're taking Lena and Tolvis Arctura back to Piltover. Near as the sheriff has been able to figure, they're who Jinx is really after, and we're lucky she'll follow them back. And if we're not lucky? Katarina asked dryly. Then you're fucked, lady. Katarina whirled on Vi, bristling at her insouciant tone. The wound to her pride was bad enough, but seeing her city burn was something entirely different. That's you wanted, Jinx here. I snapped, cutting her off. Well, you got exactly what you wanted, so forgive me if I ain't exactly sympathetic. You dragged your whole damn city into a grudge match with a woman who thinks of grand arson as a fun night out. I don't have any advice for you, Eddie. You guys got yourselves into this shitstorm, and the only thing I can do is grab Jinx's targets and take them back to Piltover, and pray to Janna that she isn't too distracted to follow them. So are you going to help me or not? The council has already dispatched a dozen hunter-killers to scour the city and are calling up a dozen more, Katarina countered as a carriage pulled up to the street, bearing the coat of arms of her house. It was a tall, broad, six-wheeled affair with armored plating and chanted glass windows, 
and a pneumatic gear assist to allow the weight to be pulled by no more than a pair of great black-maned Noxakari, the finest draft horse breed on the plains. All right, neat. You not a tracker? Fi asked dryly, which of course they didn't, but Katarina wasn't going to admit that. And what makes you think she isn't just heading to the Arcturas right now? How could she even know where they are? Katarina scoffed as she slipped into the carriage, followed by Vi and her scribe. Vi shrugged as she settled into the seat across from Katarina and said, Dunno, do I look like someone who knows shit? she asked. I'm just asking. Are you assuming she doesn't know or are you sure? Because I'll tell you, assuming Jinx doesn't know something is the last mistake a lot of folks have ever made. That put a stone in Katarina's stomach because while Vi may have been crass, she also wasn't strictly wrong. This had been a messy, haphazard operation at best, executed on the premise of wounded pride. The council had supported it as a matter of principle because not one, but two Noxian operatives had been beaten soundly by a half-naked Zonite scumsucker whose main strategy was to hide in sewers until the noise stopped. They had decided to concoct an elaborate plan to draw her out into the open, and it worked, and as the Piltovid Enforcer had so astutely pointed out, the Triferix Council had gotten precisely what it had wanted. It had just underestimated the damage that their target was capable of, and badly. Even with the Council's best hunters loosed in the streets, it was little more than a bandage. None of their plans had involved an airship being dropped on the city, nor the mass civilian panic that the attack caused. In one move, Jinx had reduced Noxus to a chaotic scrum, neatly negating the terrain advantage they had been hoping for, and turning the whole plan from a trap into a soldier's worst nightmare, urban warfare. Ice sluiced down Katarina's spine as she calculated out the steps necessary to pin down someone like Jinx in a city like Noxus, assuming the worst-case scenario, which at this point seemed likely, and taking both Vi's assessment and Jinx's entrance into the city as testimony to her ability, it might take weeks to root the woman out manually. Running the numbers on the kind of damage she would do in the meantime was grotesque. This, Katarina decided, had been their ultimate failing. They had thought of Jinx like a Noxian criminal, or worse, as if she were a counter-operative. She was neither of those things. She was a god's damned terrorist. Jinx clearly had no issue applying maximum collateral damage to wherever she was if she thought it might move her closer to her objective, and at that moment her objective was sitting in a protected room inside of Mans du Coteau, and if Jinx did know where to look. The carriage hit a rough patch that rocked the cab, and Katarina cursed irritably as she slammed a fist against the wall separating them from the driver, cracking the wood paneling. Damn it, Katarina hissed, as she massaged the bridge of her nose. Fine. I'm proud, not stupid. So we're scrubbing this whole operation, and if the Trifari don't like it, they can kindly kiss my ass, she said finally. Tell me what you need that will get you and your people the hell out of my city. Vi turned and looked to the scribe, who seems to consult her notes briefly, before looking to her superior and saying something. What came out of the scribe's mouth was a mass of vowels and consonants, none of which seems to be in the right places to make actual words, but Vi just nodded along, then replied in kind before returning her gaze to Katarina. An aerial skiff, Vi replied, one that's small, quick, and able to handle high crosswind shifts, first of all. Why? Katarina asked, narrowing her eyes. 
And what was that noise you were making? Some kind of code? Vi bristled, and a tension rolled through the young woman for a moment before her scribe put a calming hand on her and said something in that strange tongue. She relaxed, although she still looked put off. It's called Gutlow, and it's my native language, Noxian. You got a problem with that? Vi replied. And Katarina raised an eyebrow. That's Gutlow? she asked. I've never actually heard it spoken before, and no, my apologies. I had forgotten that you were born in Zon, is all. Yeah, you ain't the only one, she said softly, and almost more to herself than to Katarina, it seemed. And as to why, it's because I got a fly, assuming Jinx is on my tail, so I ain't bringing the Arcturus back through Piltover. We gotta go the long way through Zon, and the fisher winds play havoc with anything too heavy, so the skiff's gotta be light. Vi relaxed back against the seats. Unless you want to wait and send a message to Piltover to ask for an escort. Sending a missive, not to mention waiting for a reply, would require a couple of days at least, and Katarina had no desire to see what kind of havoc Jinx could wreak in her city given that kind of time. Maybe the hunters could track her down before she did too much damage, but at that point, Katarina had no desire to test their luck any further. She and the rest of Noxus had treated this matter with Jinx far too lightly, and now they were paying for it, so it was her responsibility to make that bill as small as possible. My house has a small number of racing skiffs. They're fast and agile, assuming you can handle them, she replied. And they can seat four? It'll be a tight fit, but at full capacity, yes, Katarina replied. I don't suppose you can assure me that Jinx will follow you? Vi shook her head, and that, at least, was expected. Where Jinx was concerned, Katarina had the feeling that very little, if anything, could be assured beyond extreme violence and massive property damage. The carriage slowed, and Katarina allowed herself to relax as she heard the familiar sounds of the gates to her home being opened with a faint creak of reinforced steel. The sooner these damn Piltovens were out of her family's hair, the better. The council would still want their pound of flesh, but she would be damned if she let the immortal bastion be burned to the ground over a grudge with that Zonite psychopath. She was all for vengeance, but this was the height of cutting off the nose to spite the face. Finally, the carriage rolled to a stop, and a trio of house servants opened the doors to let them out. Katarina exited first, ordering two of them as curtly and sharply as possible to retrieve the Arcturas from their rooms. Meet us in the aerial bay of the east wing, and you, she chattered to the third servant, go make sure the guillotine is stocked and ready to fly. They'll need enough supplies for a four-day journey with a full crew complement. Go! They bustled away, and Katarina carted her fingers through her hair, brushing strands from her eyes as the weight of the mess they were in started to hit. How long will it take? I asked as she stepped out with her scribe following meekly behind. Minutes, if that. Katarina replied with a faint smile. Noxians are many things, but lazy is not among them. The skiffs are kept in full repair and checked over every other day by Noxian engineers. If you get caught, it won't be because of a malfunction. Sounds good to me, Vi said. Now let's... Whatever she was about to say, Katarina never got a chance to hear it, because three things happened in such quick succession that there was no time to react. First, a loud electric snap paired with several small detonations, caused the three of them to whip around in time to see the carriage mounting bars that tied the Noxakari to the carriage they had been pulling be sheared clean off, spooking the draft horses and sending them barreling away, dragging the poor driver who still had his hands on the reins along for the ride. Second, 
the carriage exploded. Vi managed to hurl herself over the pair of them, bearing them to the ground, and at the same time engaged the blast shielding of her gauntlets to keep them from being shredded by shrapnel from the annihilated carriage. Third, a rocket punched through from somewhere beyond the flaming smoke, smoke that was a hundred different noisome colors, and the wreckage of the carriage, and time seemed to slow for Katarina as she watched it soar over her. It was multi-stage, chem-powered by the look of the complex internal machinery that was engaging mid-flight, and more importantly, it had a crude shark painted over the nose. Katarina watched in horror as the hodgepodge Hextech missile crashed through the armored face of her ancestral home and detonated, washing the world in gas and chemical fire. Jinx watched them. She watched the woman with red hair that she vaguely remembered shooting some time ago talk, talk, talk to Fat Hands and Lux, who was hiding. She didn't like that Lux was hiding. She couldn't see Lux's pretty hair or her pretty eyes or anything under that hood. Jinx hated it. She wanted to be done. She wanted to go back home and do something more fun. She hated how hot Noxus was, uncomfortable and dry, and how everything tasted and sounded like metal. Even the people. They sweated metal sweat and spoke metal words and walked in stiff metal movements. It somehow managed to be even worse than Piltover, and that was saying something. Finally, they were leaving. Jinx slipped across the rooftops, loping along to keep up with the six-wheeled carriage. It was a nice carriage. It moved along the rough, cobbled streets, bumping along here and there, taking a turn occasionally, and Jinx counted down the rotations and the patterns of the machinery that drove it forward under the muscle of those big black horses. It didn't take long to get a read on it. Noxian machines were simple machines because Noxians weren't very creative— they had thoughts shaped like swords and shields, and it was painfully obvious. They had too much flat, motionless metal on the brain and not enough moving gears. Surging ahead of the carriage, Jinx mentally tracked the route. There were only so many directions it could go. She found her opportunity three streets up. The corners were a little sharper up there, so the carriage would have to slow down and take it wide to keep from hopping the curb. Jinx waited, counting down, and listened all the while for the tell-tale pneumatic pops and hisses of the approaching carriage. There, Jinx dropped to the ground, staying in the shadows of the tall, dark buildings. She reversed the straps on Pow Pow and Fishbone so her weapons were resting over her chest, pulled them tight, and just as the carriage made the turn, she darted in. Her timing was perfect. She slipped between the rear hooves of the horses and the front wheels of the carriage with the driver none the wiser, landed flat on her back, then grabbed the underside of the cab with only a small, mildly uncomfortable bump. That was easy. Licking her lips, Jinx concentrated on her left arm, forcing the gears and cuffs to lock into place and form a solid anchor for herself so she could go to work pulling all of her favorite toys out of her jacket. Nitro 9 for the cab with a little extra pop and flare just for kicks. Gotta show these Noxians what real fun looked like. She found the main connectors for the horses, too. Jinx wasn't the biggest fan of people, but horses—she liked horses—loud and long and free and full of noise. She rigged a pair of vibration charges to the connectors along with a couple of shock puppies for some zing that would send them running. The horses could probably use the exercise anyway. The setup didn't take long, but it took long enough that they made it all the way to a pair of creaky gates before Jinx finished. But finished she did, and with some minutes to spare— Settling back onto the carriage, she put her hand over Fishbones where he was lying on her chest. He was so heavy, so stupidly heavy, 
Maybe because his belly was full, full of chemtech and hextech and fire and death. It had been a long time since she'd built one of those rockets, a real one anyway. She'd made smaller ones, like the ones she used on the rift, and the ones she used to blow holes in buildings, but a real one. It had been a long time. How long? She couldn't remember. She remembered making it, though. She remembered all the armored glass tubes with their different mixing ratios all slaved to the same control interface, and all designed to do one thing. We'll show them, Fishbones whispered. The carriage stopped, and Jinx masked her drop from the cab with the jerking motion of the brakes, and rolled and hunched against the shadowed lee of the axles as red hair, fat hands, and locks got out of the carriage. Red hair was shouting at people. She did a lot of that, a lot of shouting. Jinx hated it. She hated her knife-sharp voice and her quick metal words. We'll show them all. Rolling out from under the carriage, she curled into a ball, pulled pow-pow and fishbones up like shields between herself and the carriage, and pressed the sequential trigger she'd rigged. The shock puppies barked and scared the horses, and they bolted and ran free of metal Noxian arms that had been grabbing them by their throats. The nitro bellowed, exploding in a riotous flash and crack and bang of color and music. There were screams, too, and Jinx screamed and laughed at the same time as she stood up with fishbones over her shoulder, his jaw yawning wide as she pulled the trigger. Here's to the new us, Blandy, Jinx mumbled. Fishbones spat death through the pillar of wildly colored smoke and fire, time to make the metal noises stop and replace them with the sounds of fire and screaming and off-tune jazz, and Jinx smiled as she watched it punch into the stonework, the reinforced metal nose breaching the big fancy house's big fancy face. The detonation was glorious. The whole face of the big house cracked as it was rocked to its foundations, and the chemical mixtures spilled gas into the air and liquid fire across the floors and out into the courtyard. Alarm klaxons screamed, and Jinx threw several chompers randomly about, party favors for any helpers, and in the ensuing chaos she ran for the house. Vi screamed her name, and Jinx flashed her sister a smile as she bolted past her. Vi was looking at her, and Red Hair, who was underneath Vi, was staring up at her burning house in shock. Lux was under Fat Hand's shield, too, but she wasn't staring at the house. She was smiling, and she gave Jinx a sly wink before going back to pretending to be exploded. And then Jinx was inside the house. There sure were a lot of fancy runes covering whole sections of the place that would have made it real hard to get inside if she hadn't blown a giant hole in the face of it first. But then that's sort of what giant holes were for. Now it was time to get to work. The text of this story is available on AO3. Music by Dot Matrix. If you would like me to record a story, voiceover, or character, get in touch using the contact information available on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as a link to my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.